we must always remember that God is moving in all that he has created, including his very good creation, human beings, for the purpose that he may purify a people who will reverently worship him, healed and filled with joy. And the result of his salvation and deliverance is to have peace. Peace with our enemies and peace also with God through his Son, Jesus Christ, to serve him. We heard this in our readings this morning. And what is amazing about God are these qualities. He is justice and mercy. He is the judge, but also the Savior. Only God can do those things which have such a wide gulf between them and human beings. And as we have already heard this morning in the readings, he has spoken through his prophets, starting with Moses. And some of the key prophets along the way um, were Nathan, who made a big prophecy to David. We'll talk about that later. As well as Isaiah and Ezekiel. And let us never forget, the supreme prophet is Jesus Christ himself. Now, we begin our readings for this morning and what God wants to say to us. We begin with one of the very last writing prophets before Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Mary. Some people think this was the last book written in Scripture. And then we will uh, continue along with this amazing prophecy that a priest, Zechariah, which means remembrance of Yahweh, that he spoke at the birth of his son, John the Baptist. And it really just sets the stage for who Jesus is and especially what he did in coming to earth. And he said this, don't forget, Jesus was still in the fifth month in his mother's womb. He hadn't even been born yet as a human. So, um, finally, finally the last word that we will hear and consider this morning has to do with uh, one of God's most gracious gifts to those who are serving him, and that is peace. The second Sunday of Advent is peace. We reflect on the peace we already have in Jesus and how it will be consummated at the end of the ages. And also, it was in our candle reading and in some of our songs, God's people who have received peace are to be peacemakers. And again, we'll talk more about that later. But why do we do this? Because we're eagerly seeking his second coming. 
He has come once, but he has promised to come again in God's time. So, so part one, the Malachi readings can be summed up this way. The Lord will come suddenly to purify and to judge. And for those who fear his name, there will be healing. But for the wicked, they will be trodden down. So, the summary of chapter 3 that we heard is the Lord will suddenly come to his temple, purify the priests, but he will judge the oppressors, that is those who do not fear him. So we're going to go here kind of sentence by sentence. So the beginning is, Behold, I am sending my messenger to clear out the way. He's going to clear out the way. Um, boy, boy. Yeah, okay. And the Lord that you are seeking will come suddenly. So in the specifics, I love this. The Lord you are seeking, he will come suddenly. So he starts with behold. If you read the more literal translations, behold is everywhere. And why is that? Because I think we kind of drift through life only half hearing and not always open to God. And every once in a while he just has to say, behold, wake up. In fact, if you have a translation, you might, whatever you're reading, and you see, behold, say to yourself, wake up now. Wake up. That's what it means. Now, my messenger, goodness gracious, it's very interesting. In the original language, my messenger is Malachi. Malachi was the author of this book. In fact, I found one translation, I think the New Jerusalem Bible, where he said, Behold Malachi. So this is very personal, because imagine if you were given the name, my messenger, and then you hear the Holy Spirit telling you to write about a messenger, my messenger. And then he says he will clear things out. Now, to, to clear out, uh, if you think about um, Jesus in his parable of the seed and the soils. Remember that third soil. It was already growing up and it looked like it was going to produce fruit. But what happened? The weeds choked it out. So what, what is the application of that parable? The parable is kind of simple. But I think what Jesus is saying is we've got to clear out all the garbage, all the rubble, all the stuff that's in our life to be fully right with him and enjoying his love. So let us clear the weeds out of our lives. Let us weed our souls, so to speak. And then when it says seeking the Lord, you know, I think one of the problems is we think we know what Bible words mean and they don't really mean anything to us. But to expand on what seek means, it means to search for God diligently. Diligently and in order to actually find him and why to be with him. We really should be craving his presence in our lives more than anything else on this earth. And... Um, we actually heard last week in Isaiah, the climax of that Isaiah prophecy, 
His people actually begged him, Oh, that you would come down. Why are they saying that? Because they wanted a God that they could be intimate with, not one that they thought was way up there in heaven removed from them. And then Jesus gave this command in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be diligently pursuing him to have fellowship with him. Seek him and his kingdom. And then, I just love this, suddenly, suddenly. Uh, again, I've always been impressed in Luke when Jesus is talking about the last days. He says, when I return, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like a flash of lightning. Think about a summer night when the lightning just, it comes and it goes, but it's so instantaneous and so sudden and so shocking. Next sentence, he will bring the covenant to them and be their delight. Now the summation of God's covenant with people going all the way back to Moses and the covenant with his people Israel is just simply this. God with us, us with God. This mutually interdependent relationship. Um, in fact, it is a mutually present communion. In the present tense, perpetually, and we will be celebrating the sacrament of communion with God through our Lord Jesus Christ later. And now this word delight, again, I think we have a good sense of what delight means, but to just stretch it out a little bit, it is to have great and gracious pleasure. In fact, true delight is a gracious gift from God. We really can't manufacture it in ourselves. Now, in Isaiah, when Yahweh told his people that he would restore them from their exile, being in a foreign land, being disciplined and desolate, he said, I will give you two new names, Beulah, which means married. So once again, there would be that intimate relationship with God the husband and his people, the spouse, the wife. And then he says, and you will also be called Hepzibah. And what that means is my delight is in her. So you may have heard of, of some uh, Hebrew women that are named Hephetz. That means delight. Now, there's two rhetorical questions, and I think they're extremely important. Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? Now, sinners cannot stand in the presence of God without an intercessor and without being cleaned up. And since we are all sinners, the answer to these rhetorical questions is obvious. None of us, in and of ourselves, can stand. But now we go on to some good news. Because he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. So what's this saying? God is going to clean us up. These beautiful, poetic images with very rare words that were only really used by the Hebrew prophets. 
What does a fire do? Many, many, many times in Scripture, a fire purifies. And it even says in these verses, like silver, many metals are put through fire so that they melt and all the dross rises to the top and it's taken away and what you get is much purer metal. That's what God is talking about here. And then he is sat as a refiner and purifier of silver for the Levites, so they may offer sacrifices to Yahweh in righteousness, and this offering will be pleasant to Yahweh, as in the days of Moses, the days of old, when the covenant was given. Now the Lord had called the Levites to be a holy priesthood. He had said before giving the Ten Commandments in the Torah on Mount Sinai, he wanted all of his people to be priests. But because they weren't ready at that time, he specifically chose the tribe of Levi to be his holy priesthood. And he's promising to make this to happen. And this pleasant offering as I looked in a Bible dictionary, I like the way it was worded. It is acceptable, appeasing, which means it's proper enough to clean us up, and it's also satisfying to the one to whom it is offered. So in this case, when we offer acceptable sacrifices to God, and this just came to you, but remember twice in Psalms it says, an acceptable sacrifice is a broken and a contrite heart. God will never reject someone who comes to him that way. But then he says, I will come near to you all swiftly to judge five groups of people. And let me sort of elaborate on them. And I was listening very carefully as the scripture was read this morning. The first three groups that are mentioned, every one of them is breaking one or more of the ten words of the commandments. We have people who are sorcerers, worshipping false gods, not the real God. We have people who are adulterers, and we have people who are liars. So they've broken at least some five or six commandments by a quick count. But then there's two more which are even more despicable, if that's Possible. But those who oppress and turn aside God's favored people. Who are God's favored people? In human terms, the lowly manual worker, the widow, the orphan, and the foreign sojourner. There's something about human nature where if you're not part of my culture, I don't want you. That's bad enough, but there are those that actually oppress people like that. And then the fifth and worst category is the proud and arrogant people who have no fear of God whatsoever. God is going to swiftly judge these people because I, Yahweh, I have not changed. And you, sons of Jacob, have not ceased to be. Now, we can just go by this at 70 miles an hour and miss everything. But as I was praying over it and preparing this message, 
I realize how awesome this statement is. Because what is he saying here? First of all, um, he's talking about the fear of the Lord, those that fear him and those that don't. And, and I learned a wonderful lesson in seminary that the fear of God is faith. Because what is faith that produces obedience and righteousness? It's faith in a fearsome God. A God who is awesome. A God who is almighty. A God who can do anything. A God before whom we are tempted to tremble, and rightly so. We have faith in that kind of a God. Not a God that's just a superhuman or one of us, although he became one of us, but an awesome God. And he's faithful to himself because the bottom line of what we are considering in chapter 3 says this, and think about it. He's the perfect father who cares and protects his children and Think about, he uses Jacob, the non-covenant name, the one who was the deceiver, not he will be a prince of God, Israel. What is he saying? No matter how many times my people have wandered away from me, I am faithful to myself and my covenant promises, and I have been their God. Through all the captivities and all the oppression of judges, even the Babylonian captivity, I have been their God. And um, what we now must do, and what he was saying to them, is they're now ready. They're ready for this sudden coming. When he comes suddenly to his temple to be with his people, to purify them for salvation. However, those who absolutely refuse to repent of their sins, pride, and arrogance, they shall be judged. Chapter 4, and it gets even better. In this one, he says, the day that is coming will burn up the arrogant, but it will be healing and joy for those who fear Yahweh who's going to send Elijah. Now remember, this was written long after Elijah had been carried up to heaven. So, again, sentence by sentence, once again, because behold, wake up, the day is coming, burning as a furnace, and all the proud and all doing wicked have become as chaff. They have been burned in the coming day says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, as we heard read. So, this third command to wake up, it's addressed to wicked and proud people first. Now, the day of the Lord, we must understand this, when he suddenly comes for the second time, it will result in dreadful judgment of fire, for those who continue to persist in sin and never repent and turn to God. And if you read Hebrews 9, which was written to Jews who hadn't received Jesus as their Savior yet, and some who had as a warning, we need to be warned. He came the first time 
to offer forgiveness and salvation and grace and mercy. But when he comes again, and he's not waiting, wanting any to perish, that's why he's waiting. But when he comes again, those who have never repented, it's over. It's going to be a dreadful judgment of fire. And that should make us weep. So, he says, it, meaning that day, will not leave to them a root or a branch. They will be totally consumed by this fire below and above. And I think this is an ironic prophetic word because think of Isaiah 11, where it's a prophecy of the Savior Messiah Jesus when it says he will be a root from Jesse and a branch from Jesse also, below and above. So what a contrast. For those who are in Christ, there's redemption, but for those who not, there's only a fearful judgment. And then he switches gears and now talks about his people. He has risen to those who are fearing my name, son of righteousness, with healing in his wings, and you all have gone out and skipped about like calves, released from your stalls. What a contrast. I already said it. I'll just say it again. The burning of the wicked with poetic images, beautiful poetic images of great joy for God's people, um, his faithful covenant people. So, um, again, I already said this, I, I will just bring it back to your attention. The fear of the Lord is faith. That's why I said faithful people. Now this son of righteousness, the son, what is the son? Look at it outside today, it's brilliant, it's light. And I think of what Paul wrote to Timothy, God lives in unapproachable light. The son, the light of God, God is righteous. And that's what he's talking about. And then he says this light, which is coming, will bring not only righteousness, but health, healing, to those who are fearing and going back to chapter 3, delighting in Yahweh. So the Lord sheds light on those who delight in him. Then he goes on to say, Yahweh Sabiel says that they have trodden the wicked as grapes with their feet in the day that he has done it. Now this is amazing. Again, if we are God's people, you know, as frail as we are in ourselves, we are his instruments. And he actually uses us to do his work. And I've got a couple of references in the New Testament in your outlines that you have. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming with his chosen and made holy people, and they will participate with him in the final judgment. So when God tramples down the ones who remain wicked, arrogant, proud, and oppressive, his people will be with him and participate in it. That's what's prophesied by Malachi, 400 years before Jesus came. And then the Malachi portion concludes, Behold, I am sending to you Elijah the prophet 
before it comes this great and fearful day of the Lord. Remember, the second time he's coming to judge. Those who have been judged in Christ will be with him forever. It will be horrible for the others. So this, behold, is the fifth and final warning to wake up for those who are rejecting God. Now, Elijah, when the Jews asked John the Baptist if he was the prophet they were expecting, what were they expecting? They were expecting this, the fiery judgment. They had been oppressed by Rome so long they were sick of it. And they thought 2,000 years ago was going to be the time when God would strike the Romans down and establish his kingdom on earth. They were a little bit off on that because what was John announcing? He was announcing the one who in his first coming would bring redemption, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. But this is a prophecy of John the Baptist, so now we're ready to move to our gospel reading this morning from the book of Luke. And we can sum it up, the Lord God has raised up salvation in David's line to give his people to serve him. And then the father of this newborn son who would be a prophet, he says, John will give knowledge of salvation because of God's tender mercy to guide people to peace. There it is, the peace that we all need. So in the first part, he's rehearsing what God has done. And again, even though Jesus won't be born for another four months or so, he's speaking about him as if he's already accomplished what he came to earth to do. The Lord God has come and done redemption to show mercy and to remember his covenant to his people to serve him in holiness and righteousness. And as we go through this, this is one of my favorite verses that struck me back in about 1990. But line by line, praise be to the Lord God of Israel, he has come and worked redemption for his people. Literally, praise is a good word. All God's words are good, and we should echo them back to him. Redemption is one person buying another person out of slavery and bondage. And what did Jesus come to do? He came as a human being in human flesh to purchase his people from slavery to sin. Now notice, this redemption is in the past tense. And I believe this is so because all who were looking forward to Messiah Jesus the Savior. By faith in the prophetic words, they had already been redeemed and they were eternally with God. Just as we, 2,000 years later, look back using the prophets and the apostles, all the prophetic word, and we also are redeemed. It's for all people of all times. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house or family of his servant David, as he said, from eternity through the holy mouth of his prophets. This is what I was saying in the introduction about all the prophets who ever wrote. All of the word of God is about Jesus. 
This book is about one person and how we can know him, love him, and serve him. Now, in Scripture, a horn represents strength. Remember, many of these people were shepherds. Not all, but many, and especially poor people would have their collection of animals. That was their wealth. This is a ram's horn. They knew what a ram's horn was all about. And then, of the family of David, the son of David. Now, doing Bible searches in English, I only found the term son of David in the Gospels. But when we were going through Chronicles, and it's also in the book of Samuel, when God would not allow David to build a house for him, God said, one of your descendants, one of your sons, will be the eternal king and Messiah who will live and rule forever. That's what Zechariah is prophesying about right now. Salvation from our enemies who hate us to show mercy with our fathers. So Zechariah is inspired, again, by the Holy Spirit here, to say that salvation is now a present reality. Right now, in our current time. And also born from David's family, and then to show mercy. Remember, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, we were looking at Exodus 34. Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful and gracious. It's one of the primary qualities of God. To remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father David. Again, the covenant with Israel, um, as it was given to Moses on Sinai, and I'm going to quote from Exodus right now. This is God's promise. I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know I am Yahweh, your God. And knowledge is all over this prophecy from Zechariah. But then it also uh, talks about an oath sworn to Abraham. Now, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, I can't say I've memorized all seven blessings, but it was blessings through Abraham's eternal descendant, Jesus. And some of what's here was in there. And, and, and if you look in Hebrews, it said, God swore an oath to Abraham by his own name. And this is the hope of all who have fled to him for refuge, Hebrews 6. And now here's the bottom line of the first part, which is all about Jesus. And this is one of my favorite verses, and I memorized it in 1990. In order to give to us, fearless having been delivered from our enemies, to serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days. That's a literal translation. I memorized it in the NIV. What's going on here? Well, this rescue by Jesus for people, and also this ability to serve God the right way in holiness and righteousness, these are both gracious gifts of God. This is the week of peace, but we put grace right alongside of it. 
Now, fear, and we heard from Malachi that the fear of Yahweh gives holiness and righteousness. So it's interesting that throughout church history, these two scriptures have been paired on the second week of Advent. They speak of the same thing. Now, fear of God is good, but he's talking about a different kind of fear here. Fear of man is not pleasing to God. And what God is saying here is he's delivered people from their human and spiritual enemies so they no longer have to have a fear of man. A fear of man is a problem, and it's not good. And again, this service to Jesus... All God's people are now able to serve him as David did. So let's sum up what he says about Jesus. Zechariah says about Jesus, All who fear the Lord have been delivered to serve him in holiness and righteousness. I have only two words to say about this. What amazing grace. To take a phrase from uh, John Newton. Now we're going to get the prophecy about John. Zechariah concludes, John will be a prophet of the Most High to prepare the way, using the words from Malachi, to give knowledge of salvation, forgiveness, and God's mercy with the result of the way of peace for the people of God. He says, you also, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, because you will go on before the Lord to make ready his way. John will indeed, Zechariah now knows this by the Spirit, he is the messenger prophesied by Malachi. In order to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the affections of mercy of our God. The gift of knowledge and forgiveness. Once again, God's gracious gift. We can know of salvation and forgiveness of sins in Jesus by his death. By his death on the cross that he would endure for our sakes on the cross so our sins can be wiped out and forgiven. What did Jesus do on the cross? He demonstrated in a powerful way the affections of the mercy of God for human beings. And then it says, in which affections the rising dawn will visit us. Think of that son of righteousness. With help from on high to shine to those in darkness and sitting in the shadow of death. Here Zechariah is giving a short-term prophecy about the one who would soon be born, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and what he would accomplish by his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. He will be a light in the shadow of death, echoing David's well-known and beloved son. Well, 2,000 years later, people, may we live in the light while we are also working to speed his return, that he will come back soon. And then in order to direct our feet, direct our feet into the way of peace. 
It is the Holy Spirit, people. When we have the Holy Spirit living in us, He directs our paths. He makes our paths straight. He helps us to follow the way of Jesus, walking the path of life with Him. Now, the way of peace is a phrase which alludes to a psalm. It actually is kind of like Malachi. In other words, if you were to read Psalm 14 in the translation of the Septuagint, which is about twice as long as what has survived in the Hebrew Bible, it says that the one who is an atheist and has no fear of God does not know the way of peace. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to the Romans, says, if we surrender to Jesus Christ, if we have peace with God, we can know the way of peace. That way of peace is Jesus Christ himself. We can be righteous in him and overcome our agnosticism, our doubt of God, and we can have peace with God. And if we have his peace, Jesus said, we will be blessed if we are peacemakers. So we should be passing it on if we can. Okay, to sum up our whole scripture for this morning, the Lord will suddenly come again to deliver peace, this time peace fulfilled in the eternal kingdom. And let me just give you some of the prophets here. Isaiah has two verses that talk about peace. Yahweh keeps in perfect peace those who trust him with steadfast hearts, with all of our hearts not being moved. And children taught by him have great peace. That's Isaiah. Again, the Lord will suddenly come again a second time to deliver peace peace fulfilled and perfect. And that is Ezekiel. I suggest you read when you have time, Ezekiel 34. It's a beautiful parable in which Yahweh is the shepherd and his people are the sheep. And basically he says that he will make his servant David, meaning the Messiah, the son of David, to be their one shepherd, making a covenant of peace with them. Again, peace in Jesus Christ, and he will come again. We have peace to an extent now, but he will come again to deliver peace totally fulfilled. And then Jesus, the supreme prophet in the upper room at the last communion, said two things. He would leave his peace with his disciples and that they can have courage in this world of tribulation, and I think we've experienced many of the ways of this world this year. He will um, give them great peace. He says, um, you can overcome and deal with this. Why? You don't have peace in this world. There's no peace in this world. We sang, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. But he says, in me, in communion with Jesus Christ, we have peace. And Jesus will come again suddenly to deliver perfected peace, eternal peace in him. So let me just wrap up in a couple of sentences these two passages this morning. 
The Lord will suddenly come to those who delight in him and bring to those fearing him light and joy. And he has already come to redeem sinners in his mercy for them to serve him before their enemies, to know him and to know his salvation and to be directed into his peace. And what are we waiting for today? Jesus will suddenly come again to deliver peace, his perfect peace, in the eternal new heavens and new earth, God's kingdom fully realized. Amen.